Chapter twenty three of the Story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. The Story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter twenty three More of the Honeymoon. The brown downy woman knew, on the instant, what was her husband's mood and immediate intent when he thus shouted and took into his own keeping again the stiff bow which hung about her shoulders. She knew that her lord was not merely in a glad, but that he was also in a vengeful frame of mind, that he wanted from her what would enable him to kill things, and that, equipped again, he was full of the spirit of fight. She knew that, of the four animals grouped together, the two huge creatures off the ground and the two slighter ones perched in a tree-top, the chances were that the condition of those below had suddenly become less preferable. The bow was about Ab's shoulders instantly, and then this preposterous young gentleman of the period turned to the woman and laughed, and caught her in one of his arms a little closer, and drew her up against him and laid his cheek against her own for a moment, and drew it away and laughed again. The kiss, it is believed, had not fully developed itself in the caveman's time, but there were substitutes. Then, releasing her, he said gleefully and chuckingly, Follow me, and they clambered down the bowl of the beach together until they reached the biggest and very lowest limb of all. It was perhaps twenty feet above the ground. A little below their dangling feet the hungry bears, hitherto more patient now with their expected prey so close at hand, becoming desperately excited, ran about, frothing and foaming and red-eyed, uprearing themselves in awful nearness at times, in their eagerness to reach the prey which they had so awaited, and which, to their intelligence, seemed about falling into their jaws. They had so driven into trees before, and finally consumed exhausted cavemen and women. As bears went, they were doubtless logical animals. They could not know that there had come into possession of this particular pair of creatures of the sort they had occasionally eating, a trifling thing of wood and sinew string and flint point, which was destined henceforth to make a decided change in the relative condition of the biped and quadruped hunters of the time. How could they know that something small and sharp would fly down and sting them more deeply than they had ever been stung before, that it would sting so deeply that their arteries might be cut, or their hearts pierced, and that then they must lie down and die. The well-thrown spear had been, in other ages, a vast surprise to the carnivora of the period. But there was something yet to learn. When they had reached the huge branch so near the ground, both Ab and Lightfoot were for a moment startled and lifted their feet instinctively. But it was only for a moment in the case of the man. He knew that he was perfectly safe, and that he had with him an engine of death. He selected his best and strongest arrow, he fitted it carefully to the string, and then, as his mother had done years before above the hyena which sought her child, he reached one foot down as far as he could, and swung it back and forth tantalizingly, just above the larger of the hungry beasts below. The monster, fierce with hunger and the desire for prey, roared aloud and upreared himself by the tree trunk, and tore the bark with his strong claws, throwing back his great head as he looked upward at the quarry so near him, and yet just beyond his reach. This was the man's opportunity. Ab drew back the arrow till the flint head rested close by his outstraining hand, and the tough wood of the bow creaked under the thrust of his muscled arm. Then he released the shaft. So close together were man and bear that the archer's skill of aim was not required. The brown target could not be missed. 
the arrow struck with a tear and the flint head drove through skin and tissue till its point protruded at the back of the great brute's neck the bear fell suddenly backward then rose again and reached blindly at its neck with its huge forepaws while from where the arrow had entered the blood came out in spurts suddenly the bear seized its appalling roars and started for the cave there had come to it the instinct which makes such great beasts seek to die alone it rushed at the narrow entrance, but its course was scarcely noted by the couple in the tree. The other bear, the female, was seeking to reach them in no less savage mood than had animated her stricken mate. Not often, when the caveman first learned the use of the bow, came to him such fortune with a first strong shot as that which had so come to Ab. Again he selected a good arrow, again shot his strongest and best, but the shaft only buried itself in the shoulder and served but to drive to absolute madness the raging creature thus sorely hurt. The forest echoed with the roaring of the infuriated animal, and as she reared herself clambering against the tree, the tough fibre was rendered away in great slivers, and the man and woman were glad that the trunk was thick, and that they owned a natural citadel. Again and again did Ab discharge his arrows, and still failed to reach a vital part of the terror below. She fairly bristled with the shafts. It was inevitable that she must die, but when the last shot had sped she was still infuriate, and apparently as strong as ever. The archer looked down upon her with some measure of despondency in his face, but by no means with despair. He and his bride must wait, that was all, and this he told to Lightfoot. That intelligent and reliable young helpmate of a few hours, who had looked upon what had occurred with an awed admiration, did not exhibit any depression. Her husband, fortunate Benedict, had produced a great effect upon her by his feet. She felt herself something like a queen. Had she known enough and had the fancies of the Ruth of some thousands of decades later, she would have told him how completely thenceforth his people were her people and his gods her gods. The she-bear became finally somewhat quieted. She tore less angrily at the tree, and made less of the terrible clamour which had for the moment driven from the immediate region all the inmates of the wood. For none save the cave-tiger cared to be in the immediate neighbourhood of the cave-bear. Her roars changed into roaring growls, and she wandered staggeringly about. At last she started blindly and weakly toward the forest, and just as she had passed beneath its shadow, paused, weaved back and forth for a moment, and then fell over heavily. She was dead. Not an action of the beast had escaped the eyes of Ab. Well he knew the ways of wounded things. As the bear toppled over, he gave utterance to a whoop, and, with a word to the girl beside him, slid lightly to the ground. She followed him at once. It was very good to be upon the earth again. Ab stamped his feet and stretched his arms, and the woman danced upon the grass and laughed gleefully but this was only for a moment or so. Ab started toward the cave, and as he reached the entrance gave a great cry of rage and dismay. Lightfoot ran to his side, and even her ready laugh failed her when she looked upon his perplexed and stormy countenance and saw what had happened. The rump of the monster he-bear was what she looked upon. The beast, in his instinctive effort to crawl into some dark place to die, had fairly driven himself into the cave's entrance, dislodging some of the stones Ab had placed there, had wedged himself in firmly, and had died before he could extricate his great carcass. 
The two human beings were homeless, and with all the arrows gone, weaponless in the midst of a region so dangerously infested that at any moment afoot was but inviting death. They were hungry too, for many hours had passed since they had tasted food. It was not a matter of surprise that even the stout-hearted caveman stood aghast. The occasion for Ab's alarm was fully verified. From the spot where the cave bear lay at the forest's edge came a sharp snapping growl. The lurking hyenas had found the food, and a long inquiring howl from another direction told that the wolves had scented it and were gathering. For the instant, Ab was himself almost helpless with fear. The woman was simply nerveless. Then the man, so accustomed to physical danger, recovered himself. He sprang forward, seized a stout fragment of limb which might serve as a sort of weapon, and turning to the woman, said only the one word, FIRE! Lightfoot understood, and life came to her again. None in all the region could make a fire more swiftly than she. Her quick eye detected just the base she wanted in a punkish fragment of wood, and the harder and pointed bit of limb to be used in making the friction. In a time scarcely worth the noting, the point was whirling about and burning into the wooden base, twirling with a skill and velocity not comprehensible by us today for the cave people had perfected wonderfully this greatest manual art of the time, and Lightfoot, muscular and enduring, was, as already said, in this thing the cleverest among the clever. Ab, with ready club in hand, advanced cautiously toward the point at the wood's edge where lay the body of the bear. He paused as he came near enough to see what was happening. Four great hyenas were tearing eagerly at the flesh of the dead brute, and behind them, deeper in the wood, were shining eyes, and Ab knew that the wolf-pack was gathering. The bear consumed, the man and woman without defence would surely be devoured. It was a desperate strait. But though he was weaponless, there was the caveman's great resort, the fire, and there might be a chance for life. To seek the tree-tops would be dangerous even now, and once ensconced in such harbourage only starvation was awaiting. He moved back noiselessly with a little apparent motion as possible, for he did not want to attract the attention of the gleaming eyes in the distance, until he came near Lightfoot again, and then he abandoned caution of movement and began tearing frantically at the limbs and debris of the great dead conifer, and to build a semicircular fence in front of the cave entrance. He did the swift work of half a score of men in his desperation and anxiety, his great strength serving him well in his compelling strait. Meanwhile the stick twirled and rasped in the hands of the brown woman seated on the ground, and at last a tiny thread of smoke arose. The continued friction had done its work. Deft himself at fire-making, Ab knew just what was wanted at this moment, and ran to his wife's side with a punk from the dead tree, rubbed to a powder in his hard hands. The powder, poured gently down upon the point where the increasing heat had brought a gleam of fire, burst almost at once into a little flame. What followed was simple and easy. Dry twigs made the slight flame a greater one, and then, at a dozen different points, the wall which Ab had built was fired. They were safe, for the time at least. Behind them was the uprearing rock in which was the cave, and before them, almost encircling them completely, was the ring of fire which no wild beast would cross. At one end, close to the rock, a space had been left by Ab that he and Lightfoot might, through it, reach the vast store of fuel which lay there ready to the hand, and so close that there was no danger in visiting it. Hardly had the flame extended itself along the slight wooden barrier than the whole wooden clearing resounded with terrifying sounds. 
the wolf-pack had increased until strong enough to battle with the hyenas for the remainder of the feast in the wood. And their fight was on. A feeling of terror had passed away from this young bride and groom, with the assurance of present safety, and Ab felt the need of eating. There is meat, he said, as he pointed toward the haunches of the bear, half protruding from the rock, and there is fire. The fire will cook the meat, and besides, we are safe. We will eat. The bridegroom of but a day or two said this somewhat grandiloquently, but he was not disposed to be vain or grandiloquent a little later. He put his hand to the belt of his furry garb, and found no sharp flint knife there. It had been lost in his late tree clambering. He put his hand into the pouch of his cloak, and found only the flint skin scraper, the scraper with which he had improved the arrow's notch, though it was not originally intended for such use. It was all that remained to him of weapon or utensil, but it would cut or tear, though with infinite effort. And the man, to reassure the woman, laughed and assailed the brown haunch before him. Even with his strength, it was difficult for Ab to penetrate the tough skin of the bear with an implement intended for scraping, not for cutting. And it was only after he had finally cut, or rather dug, away enough to enable him to get his fingers under the skin and tear away an area of it by sheer main strength that the flesh was made available. That end once attained, there followed a hard transverse digging with a scraper, a grasp about tissue of strong, impressed fingers, and a shred of flesh came away. It was tossed at once to a young person, who, long twig in hand, stood eagerly waiting. She caught the shred as she caught the fine bit of mammoth when first she and Ab had met, and it was at once impaled and thrust into the flames. It was withdrawn, it is to be feared, a trifle underdone, and then it disappeared, as did other shreds of excellent bear's meat which came following. It was a sight for a dyspeptic to note the eating of this bell matron of the region on this somewhat exceptional occasion. Strip after strip did Ab tear away and toss to his wife until the expression on her face became a shade more peaceful, and then it dawned upon him that she was eating and that he was not. There was clamour in his stomach. He sprang away from the bear, gave Lightfoot the scraper, and commanded her to get food for him as he had done for her. The girl complied, and did as well as had done the man in digging away the meat. He ate as she had done, and at last, partly gorged and content, allowed her to take her place at the fire and again eat to his serving. He had shown what from the standard of time must be counted as most gallant and generous and courteous demeanour. He had thought a little of the woman. A tiny rill of cold water trickled down one side of the outer door of their cave. With this their thirst was slaked, and they ate and ate. The shadows lengthened, and Ab replenished again and again the fire. From the semicircle of forest all about came the sound of footsteps rustling in the leaves. But the two people inside the fire fence, hungry no longer, were content. Ab talked to his wife. The fire will keep the man-eating things away, he said. I ran not long ago with things behind me, and I would have been eaten had I not come upon a ring of fire like the one we have made. I leaped it, and the eaters could not reach me. But for the fire I leaped, there was no wood. It came out of a crack in the ground. Some day we will go there, and I will show you that thing which is so strange. The woman listened, delighted, but at last there was a nodding of the head. She lay back upon the grass, a sleepy being. Ab looked at her and thought deeply. Where was safety? 
As they were, one of them must be awake all the time to keep the fire replenished. Until he could enter the cave again, he must be weaponless. Only the fire could protect the two. They had heat and food and nothing to fear for the moment, but they must fairly eat their way into a safety which would be permanent. He kept the fire alight far into the darkness, and then, piling the fuel high all along the line of defence, he aroused the sleeping woman and told her she must keep the flames bright while he slept in his turn. She was just the wife for such an emergency as this, and rose uncomplainingly to do her part of the guarding work. From the forest all about came snarling sounds or threatening growls, and eyes blazed in sombre depths beneath the trees. There were hungry things out there, and they wanted to eat a man and a woman, but fire they feared. The woman was not afraid. After hours had passed, the man awoke and took the woman's place, and she slept in his stead. Morning came, and the sounds from the forest died away partly, but the man and woman knew of the fierce creature still lurking there. They knew what was before them. They must delve and eat their way into the cave as soon as possible. Ab scraped at the bear's huge body with his inefficient bit of flint, and dug away food in abundance, which he heaped up in a little red mound inside the fire. But the bear was a monstrous beast, and it was a long way from tail to head. The days of the honeymoon passed with a degree of travail, for there was no moment when one of the two must not be awake feeding the guarding fire or digging at the bear. They ate still heartily on the second day, but it is simple truthful history to admit that on the sixth day the bear's meat palled somewhat on the happy couple. To have eaten thirty quails in thirty days, or at a pinch thirty quails in two days, would have been nothing to either of them. But bear's meat, eaten as part of what might be called a tunnelling exploit, ceased, finally, to possess an attractive flavour. There was a degree of shade cast by all these obtrusive circumstances across this honeymoon, but there came a day and hour when the bear was largely eaten, and fairly dug away as to much of the rest of him, and then, quite suddenly, his head and forequarters toppled forward into the cave, leaving the passage free and when Ab and Lightfoot followed, one shouting and the other laughing, one coming again to his fortress and his weapons and his power, and the other to her hearth and duties. End of chapter 23